Um, I love being here with ceremony. I, I love it. I just don't think practice would be practice. I just don't think we could do what we need to do without uh, ceremony. So thank you all for being here for this very special ceremony evening. I want to start with a quote uh, from the Buddha. He said, um, I cannot wash away your sins with water. The suffering cannot be removed by my hand. I cannot transfer my realization to you. The only way I can help you is through giving teachings and you should strive to liberate yourself. I think that I wanted to start that out because on this, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about forgiveness and then Tim is going to talk a little bit about reconciliation. These two things are very different in uh, Buddhist uh, cosmology. I'm going to talk about the forgiveness side. And everything you could think of in Dhamma is personal. It's, uh, there's nothing that is um, about someone else. So everything you do in practice is about you. It's about your practice. It's about uncovering the nature of who you are. And we use ordinary or everyday experiences to begin to see who we are and how we are. Um, basically, we're trying to, what Buddha said, wake up to our defilements and to uproot those defilements. Or so what it means, you can think of defilements as the habitual mind. And it's habitual way of responding to things without us being aware that we're actually responding in the way that we are. And so these defilements, these habitual tendencies of mind that just come up and respond, kind of like hijacking our experience to some kind of response, this is what we're trying to see. I mean, it's, I just think it's the whole purpose of practice, the whole direction, everything we're always pointing to is somehow in every single moment, can you see how you're being in that moment, regardless of what's occurring? And I think the best place to see our defilement or to see our... Um, habit patterns is when uh, someone hurts us, when somebody does something that harms us in some way, that is the, uh, that is the quintessential place where we're all very much looking outward and the Buddha is pointing for us to look inward. So this, you can tell by what I'm saying right here, that this is not what we were raised with. It was we were raised in a system of tit for tat, eye for an eye. If you harm me, then I get to do something back. I get to protect myself. But most times in our lives, we either don't respond and we wish we had, or if we do respond, it really doesn't have any kind of it doesn't do anything. It just kind of falls on dead ears or just kind of drifts off in the side. Or we respond, but we don't think our response is very good. We sit and kind of uh, ruminate over how we should have responded rather than the way that we actually responded. So we get trapped in this kind of um, what I would call a retaliation wheel that we keep retaliating in our minds about some harm that was done to us. And we can get trapped in that for a long time. We can carry the resentment, anger, sadness, hurt, frustration, all of it. And the difficulty is because that harm hit us and we feel it, we rarely look inside. We are always looking outward 
trying to figure out how to fix this thing that should not have happened, should not have been that way. Um, but in Dhamma, this kind of retaliatory or this eye for an eye, tit for a tat thinking is, is actually wrong view in Dhamma. In Dhamma, someone does a wrong to you and then you retaliate or do something back and that something back causes harm. You actually just have two harms. That's it. There's no, there's no, oh, I'm justified in my behavior because a harm was done to me. It was harm done, harm done. That's it. And so we want to begin to see what does it mean? What is this forgiveness then? If harm done, what am I supposed to do? Just take it, just suck it up and let it, you know, just be like a doormat or something for people. And that is usually the way our minds go. But that also is wrong view. That's not the point here. I'm going to share a little story that Thich Nhat Hanh uses. It's about um, anger. And uh, he says a monk decided to meditate alone, away from his monastery. He takes a boat and he goes to the middle of the lake and he closes his eyes and begins to meditate. And after a few hours of unperturbed silence, he suddenly feels the blow of another boat hitting him. With his eyes still closed, he feels his anger rising. And when he opens his eyes, he is ready to shout at the boatman who dared to disturb his meditation. But when he opened his eyes, he saw that it was an empty boat, not tied up, floating in the middle of the lake. At that moment, the monk achieves self-realization and understands that his anger is within him. It simply needs a hit. It simply needs to hit an external object to provoke it. After that, whenever he meets someone who irritates or provokes his anger, he remembers that the other person is just an empty boat and that anger is inside me. This is kind of the quality of mind that we're trying to cultivate in practice. We're trying to cultivate a mind that sees that when someone does some act, and we feel the impact of that, we are still responsible for our behavior in relationship to it. It's kind of a, uh, it's not an ordinary way of being. But I'm hoping that in this little time I have, I can help you see what the Buddha was actually pointing to. So this is where Forgiveness practice comes into play. In Dhamma, we are forgiving. The forgiveness practice itself um, is what brings us face to face with our own anger, our own difficulty, our own suffering in relation to some act that was done. It's personal. It's a personal practice that we each do for ourselves. And it is a personal choice, if you could see this, it's a personal choice not to retaliate. You could, but it's a choice not to um, retaliate, to not hold resentment and to let your own energy go. So the monk in the boat the only person that can let that anger go is the monk. He can't go out there and get the people that didn't tie the boat up and try to get them to start making sure they tie their boats up so that nobody gets disturbed when they're out on the lake. The only thing he can do is basically release his own anger. That's it. What happens after that? 
That's Tim's part. My part <laughs> is just this anger. My part is to, forgiveness is to turn us towards letting go of our own defilement, regardless of what brought that defilement to that moment. We let it go. There's a, I want to tell you a story about a guy who was in prison. I used to do a lot of work in prison with teach mindfulness and teach uh, uh, nonviolent communication. And there was a guy who was notoriously powerful. And he had gotten a lot of his, um, basically it's called good time, a lot of, um, you know, the time that would be taken off of your sentence so you could get out earlier. He got a lot of that taken away from him because he would fight so much. If anyone looked at him cross-eyed, he would fight them. It didn't matter. If you, if you did any harm to him, he would fight you. And so he was notorious for his uh, impulsive kind of fight first, talk about it later. We'll deal with whatever happens later. And when he started meditating and he started um, practicing, something began to change in him. Because in any given moment, he would remember his release date that was in that moment. So he would remember his release date and when he's going to get out to see his family. So now in a present moment awareness, he could see that if I punch this guy in the face like I want to, now that release date gets moved back and I will not be getting out when I think. He could see that in a present moment awareness. It came from, he says, his practice. And when he really got what practice was all about was he was out in the yard and I think they were playing cards. I can't remember, but there was a whole bunch of guys around and um, somebody did something, said something that was so offensive to him. He just got beat red. He was so angry. And everything in him, he said, he wanted to slug this guy. But all he could see was his family. He couldn't even see the guy's face. He could see his family, and he could see his time ticking away. And he said he got up, and I think everyone thought he was going to hit the guy. And he goes, I'm going to have to let you have that, man. And he walked away. And he said he was so humiliated. He couldn't believe that he was walking away. But it wasn't until sometime after that incident that all these men would come to him and whisper this side note. That took some bravery. That took some courage there. Look at that. I can't believe you did that. You got to teach me how to do that. What's that stuff you're doing, that meditation? What is that? Because in truth, remembering who we are in a moment when someone has harmed us is quintessential, the hardest thing we can do. But in that moment, you're really choosing between do you just react impulsively or do you stand for whoever you are in your practice. That's why forgiveness is different in the Dhamma because in the moment someone harms you, what you need to remember is who you are as a practitioner, regardless of how we deal with the reconciliation or deal with what comes of that. I'm probably making it a little bit harder for Tim. He's like, ah, ah. Think of it like this. Nilarepa, who's a Tibetan enlightened being, he caused a lot of harm in his lifetime. Lot, lot, lot of harm. And he began to practice when he could not get rid of. He thought the harm was going to make things right. So many people had done him wrong. His father died, and in the midst of his father dying, some... Um, 
his uncle, because women couldn't have any money, so his uncle took over the money for his family. And they just took the money and kicked the wife and her kids out like servants. And the wife was very angry, and she went to the townspeople and said, you know this is wrong. you got to fix this. Nobody, I mean, what are you going to do? Women couldn't have any property. you got to go back and talk to your your uh, brother-in-law and see what he can do. So the mother looked at her son and began to instill this rage in him that he was the only one who could defend her. He was the only one that could fix this. And he needed to go and learn all the medieval kind of, you know, treachery, sorcerous kinds of evil tactics that he could get to get back at this brother-in-law for what they had to endure. And they were mistreated. There was no doubt in the story. They were mistreated. Um, they were treated, they were basically kicked out of their house and treated like servants. So Milarepa goes when he gets 18, so he goes and learns all this vengeance and practices he can do to get vengeance. And he began to conjure up all kinds of vengeance towards people. And uh, energetically, he caused a lot of problems. And he hurt a lot of people. But it didn't work. All that hurt he caused, all that pain he caused, he caused some really, really difficult things. And he still could not get the vengeance of his uncle, the one person he wanted to hurt, that person didn't get hurt at all. And he couldn't get the vengeance. Uh, his mother was like, that didn't work. You got to do more. And he's upset that the uncle didn't get hurt. He's all upset and the whole thing is crazy. And now he has all the people that he hurt in his mind right along with his uncle. So he goes to a teacher and he asks his teacher to help him. And the teacher helps him let go of his anger, let go of his rage, and make peace and amends to all the harm he did in this sort of forgiveness capacity that we have. And he did, until he released himself from all of the rage and all of the anger. And he had to make peace of his own. Now, every single person he hurt they had to make peace on their own also. So there's a thing in which we all have to make peace on our own. And this is what he said, uh, one of the quotes he said. This is my favorite quote. I have read this quote so many times because I have to remind myself, especially when I'm angry or want to retaliate, this is what I remind myself of. He says, when you run after your thoughts, you are like a dog chasing a stick. Every time the stick is thrown, you run after it. Instead, be like a lion who, rather than chasing after the stick, turns to face the thrower. One only throws a stick at a lion once. <laughs> that's the way we're looking at it. There's, that's what happened to the guy in prison that he looked at himself and realized that his mind's telling him, you should punch that guy, you should do this, you should do that, that shouldn't be the way it is, I need to get back at him, that that mind that's telling him is not a wisdom mind. The mind that is wisdom turns and looks at himself and says, yeah, I know, what's, I know who I am. So last thing I want to say is this. We use forgiveness ceremonies. It's different. It's not like I am trying to forgive you or any one person here or you're trying to forgive one person here. We use the ceremony to create a space that we can all step in and everybody then, in their own practice, in their own personal way, 
Let's go of the need to retaliate. Let's go of the resentment. Let's go of the um, this kind of uh, energy around this kind of uh, tit-for-tat, tit-for-tat kind of energy that can go on forever. The need for retribution, we break that cycle of this need for re retribution. I have really only time to do one more quote here. He says, um, it's from Thich Nhat Hanh. He says, there are many ways to calm a negative energy without suppressing or fighting it. You recognize it, you smile at it, and you invite something nicer to come up and replace it. You can read some inspiring words, you can listen to a piece of beautiful music, you can go somewhere in nature or do some walking meditation. Tonight, we look over the entire year and just contemplate the year itself and think to ourselves, what harm was done here? And in the course of that harm, we use this ceremony to set a space that is inviting, that's calming, that's peaceful, so that each one of us can do our own ceremony. We're doing it together, but we're doing it each to ourselves, our own ceremony to let go of this unnecessary energy. We do it once a year to let go, renew, um, and come back into our center so we can remember who we are again. Yeah, I think that's it for me. Thank you. All right, thank you, Tori. <laughs> lovely talk about forgiveness and that taking responsibility for our own actions and that letting go. So I'm going to talk about rec reconciliation, which is in some ways kind of cleaning up the mess, <laughs> restoring uh, connection, restoring uh, relationship. Because forgiveness can happen, as Tori was mentioning, without the other person. You can, it's really a personal process of learning to you know, own your own your anger, your fear, learning how to calm that, and it starts to let go of you. While reconciliation involves this other person or the other group of people. Because when we cause harm and we experience harm, it has an effect of fracturing Relationships it has that potential, depending on the container or the robustness of the relationship. It can often cause this separation where we just we stop talking to each other. Our hearts are just closed and hardened. You know, forgiveness isn't is impossible on that. You can even talk to the other person. So reconciliation is this process of learning how to come back to each other, to acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged, to start to heal it. And it requires responsibility, taking responsibility for our actions or having the other person take responsibility. There's a sense of the honesty. You need to be a deep sense of honesty of the impact on someone else's actions on you and also your actions on the other person. Acknowledging the harm that was caused, really taking that in. What was the harm that I was received? What was the harm that I caused? There's a quality of empathy that is also so beneficial when you really take in, wow, this is really this person's experience. 
expressing regret and a commitment to change. These are all different elements of reconciliation. And forgiveness is part of that process. It's part of that process of of loosening and softening. Now, harm can be caused between individuals, between groups of people, between organizations and their members, between teachers and students. And as we get ready to move into our new space downstairs, Tori and I are going to be doing some work around some harm that was caused in the past, you know, from, from Sims as an organization and some of the members to help do the best we can to try to clear the air, to acknowledge what was, was unskillful, was harmful, and hopefully bring people back in. Now, in reconciliation, we can think of the person who does the harming and the person who receives the harm. Well, we've all been on both sides of that. Sometimes in the very same relationship, we're causing harm and also receiving harm back. So that's part of this honesty around it. So this last, this last year, I worked with a couple of things in my own life and my own things I've done in, in relationships around reconciliation and also around that quality of, of forgiveness and learning to see both sides of it. Sometimes I was the one who was harming. Sometimes I was the one who was causing harm. To share some of my, the process around it, not with the details or the, you know, the, the who was involved, but more the, the things that had to shift in me for it to work. So first, the acknowledging the, the one, the relationship where I was causing the harm. So reflecting back, this took a long time to let that in more and more, that I actually caused harm because I was so identified with my own victimhood, my own hurt around it, and I couldn't let go of that. That sense of being righteous, I am the one who is is downtrodden. But to actually take that in, to actually let go of, of that identification around being right, and to be willing to, to really acknowledge that. And it was, it was amazing how long it took, and a lot of it is really the sense of when I look back on it, there's something shifted in, in me that I no longer identified with myself as the person who was, was hurt. And I started to be able to really sense and look at, in a very honest way, the harm I caused. To actually take that in, to actually sense how that was impactful without that sense of having to defend myself or flinch against it to try to protect myself. Just this something let go that I wasn't so defended about it. And yet there's a full acknowledgement of the actions. This is really tied with this quality of forgiveness that as I learned to forgive this other person, I also learned to forgive my own actions. And that set the stage for the capacity to have a, a real conversation about it. And so much of it is learning to see what we believe is true. What we believe is true, that righteousness, that sense of I'm right, that the person is wrong, to really acknowledge that and then start to see through it just as another formation of mind, really a formation of self. And the more we believe in it, the harder it is to let go, the harder it is to forgive, the harder it is to actually have that reconciliation. So it was much less of a process of me trying to let go of something and much more of a process of learning to open to, to welcome, to turn toward, to being with, simply being with this pain that I was feeling to the point that something softened, some quality of identification, selfing around it started to fall away. So I didn't believe in that manifestation of self. You can see that just arose based on conditions, based on my past history, and yet there's still the responsibility for those actions to actually say, I see what I did. Part of this process was also learning to see with a greater clarity of the whole dynamics. Because often when we're caught in these, these patterns of, of harm and anger and fear, we're not just 
fully mature adults, right? We're acting from some of our, our wounding, our archaic patterns, some of our trauma. All that starts to come out as we're seeing and relating to the situation. Sometimes we don't even realize we're, we're doing that. We're, we're seeing through our past history. We forget really what's, what's really present time. And yet that has such so much power when it's unseen. So learning to have some, some external input, some external framework to see the pattern more clearly allowed me to, to let go more deeply. And there's, of course, there's also the quality of, you know, regret. There's a quality of shame or embarrassment, like how could I be so blind? But that's why compassion is also an essential companion with this process. Compassion for your own pain. You, know, you did the best you could at that time. And you can learn. You can learn from it. You can acknowledge what you did. You can have that sense of, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do as well as I would have liked to. I'm sorry that I caused you harm. And tell me about that harm. Let me hear the impact of it. And respecting, in some ways, the timing of it, it's, it's always a bit of a, a courageous decision to do that, to reach out and reestablish contact, that will, especially when you, well, both sides, if you're the harmer or the harmee, you have to listen to make sure it's appropriate, it's the right timing, that there's a sense of, safety or container around it. And that willingness just to, to look into this other person's eyes and acknowledge what your actions did and to listen, to receive that. So this becomes like the first step in reconciliation, that deep acknowledgement with honesty, with compassion and honesty of what happened, what my actions were. And then from there to see what's, what's needed, what can, what can we do to make amends, what we can do to repair and to grow, to back together. And if you've ever done this, you realize that there's been such a, so much of energy kind of held back, like a dam holding this energy. And when it's released, there's this freshness, there's this looseness. Really, we freed up the present moment from our past. You know, karmically, we've released a lot of this, this back pressure that just keeps driving how we continue to feel that guilt and that shame. Our hearts start to open. So being, learning how not to be identified with our, our opinions, with our ideas, not to take that as I, as me, and yet being completely responsible for our actions to be able to listen to another person from an undefended, open-hearted place. Now, on the other side of the picture, the one being harmed, I also did some work around this with another individual. There's a power differential here, so that every, every relationship has its own kind of nuances, doesn't it? When you're working with someone who has, who has more authority or more power than you, for me, at least, it brought up all of those old authority issues and all of those old parent issues that prevented me from really speaking the truth, like wanting to be pleasing or the good boy or whatever it might be, and to have the courage to speak that, to share this is the impact of the other person's actions on me and how there is harm with that. And so it's, it's an, it is really... I wish there was a recipe we could put out there, but it's, it really comes down to that willingness for two people to come back together, to come back and listen to each other, to listen with a quality of kindness, of compassion, and yet complete honesty around what happened. This sets the stage for reconciliation to start to happen. So as I did this with this other person, I could find myself speaking more and more fully as I kind of tested the waters to see how it was being received. And that allowed the relationship to grow deeper, to come back together. So the bottom line is that willingness to be connected, you know, to feel that harshness, that sense of separation, that closeness, and that willingness not to follow the habit mind that Twery was talking about, or the, the defilements, going down the road of anger, of fear, of greed, of delusion, but willing to actually take a different choice. 
This is really the, a, test, a beautiful testing ground of our, our practice. How does our practice really show up, not in the abstract of all the, the Dharma concepts, but how does it actually show up in the, the reality of our relationships, in the reality of our actions? And how do we can start to see that identification and learn to just question it, to hold it a little lighter, a little bit more lightly, bringing our heart all the way along with that, feeling each moment with compassion, feeling compassion toward the other person. And then if it's appropriate, if you can, have that conversation, have that place of connection, acknowledging what harm you may have caused, hearing them perhaps acknowledge the harm they've caused you, and perhaps from there, forgiveness can start to arise. And reconciliation, if possible, you come back into that. Some kind of relationship it may not be perfect. It may not be whole. I think there's a Japanese pottery where they, when something gets cracked, they use gold to mend it. So it becomes this beautiful part that doesn't wash over the fracture, doesn't you know, say that never happened, actually highlights it, but it makes it stronger. So in that way, our relationships actually grow in strength as we're willing to go through these these challenging, hard conversations and going back into reconciliation, no matter matter what it may be, may that be true for all of us. Thank you. So I just want to check and see how many of you here in the room first uh, have never been to this uh, forgiveness ceremony. So this is your first time. Oh, that's beautiful. And then what about online? How many of you have never been? Ah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That means that what's about to happen is... um, is this possibility, what uh, Philip always uses this phrase, Philip Moffat uses this phrase, imaginative possible. It's the possibility of actually freeing ourselves from some long-held hurt. Um, So I'll just give you a little framing of how it's going to happen. We are going to have, uh, there are two parts to this ceremony. First part is the kind of formal asking of forgiveness. Uh, And usually we all say it together, but since we actually have some people online and some people not online, I decided I'll just be the representative of the voice and create a space, and then everybody can feel into that. um, And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll speak our forgiveness for us all. And it is a, the way it'll work is, I'll just tell you each part in its own right. So the way this first part is the online, you guys got a, um, you guys got a little document and then there's some documents here. You don't actually have to follow along with that document because I'm going to read it itself and you can just have it if you ever want to create a ceremony for yourself when you're at home. It's just really for you to take with you. But what I'm going to do is the teachers, on behalf of us, all the teachers, LDLs, all the people that teach at Seattle Insight, on the behalf of all teachers, I will be asking for forgiveness, and all the teachers will bow. And you don't have to bow back. You just sit there and let us ask for forgiveness for ourselves and any harm we could have done. And then there is a moment when I will ask for, um, we are asking for forgiveness to the Sangha itself. And then the Sangha is going to ask for forgiveness from the teachers in case the Sangha members have done something that you think may have caused some harm to a teacher. And so you then will have an opportunity to bow and um, we will not bow. And then there's a 
a place where all of us in the Sangha, we all kind of might harm or need to forgive each other. And there is this um, relationship that we all might have. You might have done something to a Sangha member that's been gnawing at you, that you think that, that you did some harm, or maybe you just need to let go and release another Sangha member from whatever harm could have happened. And so there will be a third bow where we will all bow, both in asking for forgiveness and offering forgiveness to the extent we're able. And then there's a final bow, which is for anyone that needs to forgive themselves for some harm. Like Tim says, you recognize that you've done some harm and you can see the limitations in our behavior. And this fourth bow is to both uh, ask ourselves for forgiveness and to forgive ourselves to the extent we're able um, for any harm we may have caused. That's the formal bowing. You're not actually bowing to anyone. You're bowing in relation to the asking and the extending of forgiveness. Then there is a second bowing ceremony that will be done with a chant from Kitasaro and Tanesara who chant a, um, a bowing ceremony. I learned this chant when I was in the CDL, Community Dharma Leader Program, our very first retreat we had. Uh, we started out in love with each other. Couldn't believe we were in this great diverse place. It was so diverse. It was people from all different walks of life. We were all so fortunate. And then, you know, halfway through, we were pretty much ready to take each other out because we had stepped on all kinds of cultural mishaps and it was ugly. And by the halfway through, you know, there was a rule that when uh, the last sit, that we would go into silence until after breakfast the next morning. It was a training retreat, so it wasn't held in silence, but at the end of the last sit, we were all supposed to go into silence and then um, uh, not speak until we got back into session the next morning. But by halfway through, we had offended each other so much that even our noble silence didn't exist. And the teachers would come out of the hall, and we were bitching and whining and fussing, and they would walk right by us, and it's not like we were like, oop, no, we were just kept on grumbling and complaining. So I think the teachers realized there's a problem here that we got to tighten up. And Tanesera, then it was like halfway through, it gotten really, really bad. And the very next morning, Tanesera, well, I don't know if you know Tanesera, but she used to be a, a nun, and she practices down in California. I mean, she practices all over the place, but she... Um, I think they live down in California now, but Tanesara walks into that room with a hundred people in there and she goes up in the front by herself. So usually there's like five teachers up there, nobody, just Tanesara. And she proceeded to make us, she tells a story about Kuan Yin and how Kuan Yin tried to fix everything in the world and couldn't. And he just basically like exploded, sort of like Humpty Dumpty. He just couldn't, he tried to, it was Avalokiteshvara, and he tried to fix everything because he, he wanted everybody to end their suffering when he got liberated. So he wouldn't get liberated until he had fixed all the problems. But you can tell just by the story itself, it doesn't make any sense. You can't fix everybody's problems. And so he got overwhelmed with the, amount of problems. And so the story is, this is one of those kind of stories. The story is that uh, the Davis got back together and put him back together as Kuan Yin. So he had this nourishing, nurturing kind of way about him. And if you've ever seen those Kuan Yin statues where there's like a thousand arms and a thousand heads and all these eyes and ears, so that he could see all around and he could have all these different tools that could help people because everybody's suffering is very different, vastly different. 
And so um, the putting him back together in this reconciliation was done with um, this recognition that we are all, that all situations are very different and that there's no one right way to be. So Tanessa begins to tell us the story and she shared it. And then at the end of her telling, she said that we were going to begin this bowing ceremony. And so we listened to this chant and the way it goes is she had half the room stand up, everybody stood up, half the room would bow and the other half would stand up and basically hum or listen to the chant. And then at the end of the run of the chant, you can tell when it's over, you switch and the other side, they bow and they stand up and this sound bows. And she made us do this standing and bowing and standing and bowing. I thought it went on forever myself personally, but <laughs> but after a while, it was a formal bowing. So for those of you that can formally bow, can formally get down, I don't even normally can do this, but I only do it on forgiveness ceremonies or whenever I do this chant. I use a pillow and stuff to try to get down and struggle back up. You don't have to. You can stand and just bow forward or you can sit and bow. But you're going to pick between Tim and I. And when Tim stands, you stand. And when I stand, you stand. So when I go down, you go down. And when I come up, you come up. And so there's no, you don't have to actually remember anything. You just kind of keep a watchful eye and you're going to get it. Because after a couple of rounds, you'll see, oh, I know what's being said when it's changing. And then you're just going to go up and down and up and down. And we're just going to do that for a little while. And there's something about the bowing that begins to help us in the present moment release a lot of tension, release a lot of the excess energy. All right? So that's what the plan is. I want to start us uh, with a poem, and then I will read the, and I will do the formal ceremony. It's by Morgan Farley. It's called Clearing. And Morgan says, I'm clearing a space here where the trees stand back. I'm making a circle so open that the moon will fall in love and stroke these grasses with her silver. I'm setting stones in the four directions Stones that have called my name from mountaintops and riverbeds, canyons and mesas. Here I will stand with my hands empty, mind empty, under the moon. And if something takes my life, if a sudden wind sweeps through me, changing everything, I will not resist. I'm ready for whatever but I think it will be something small, an animal padding out from the shadows on delicate paws, or a word spoken so softly I hear it inside. There is a way, there is a way to live that makes the angels cry. There is a way to live that makes the angels cry out in rapture. There is a way to live that makes each cell a star. Come stand here with me. It is cold, I know, and silent. Nothing is happening. The next breath and the next is the new life. So if we can have the lights turned down a little, All right, I think uh, I think they can still see us okay online. So from the teachers to you over the year, um, this past year, we may have harmed you in some way. We did that knowingly or unknowingly, and we could have done it by our thoughts, 
our words or our action, our behavior. And so for any harm that we may have caused you in our teaching, in our private meetings, uh, just in random walking past you, if we caused you any harm in any way, um, we ask for your forgiveness. And over the past year, you too may believe that you have caused the teacher harm in uh, your conduct, your um, words or your thoughts, and it could be knowingly or unknowingly. And so uh, if you are, uh, if you believe you may have caused harm or you would like to ask for forgiveness for the possibility that you could have caused harm to a teacher, then please bow. And then over this past year, we all may believe that we have caused each other harm in some way or another. That um, you may have caused another Sangha member harm, or another Sangha member may have caused you some harm in the way they reacted or related to you in a, in a Dhamma talk or online somewhere, anything, uh, in any way could have been knowingly or unknowingly in their behavior or in our uh, behavior, our words, um, or even our thoughts. Uh, when we think uh, judgingly and uh, hurtfully about other people. So in this case, we want to ask for forgiveness for any Sangha member that we may have caused harm to, and at the same time, if someone has caused us harm, we want to extend forgiveness to them. So to extend you're ready, you can bow if you want to offer or ask for forgiveness. And then finally, over this past year, you know, we, we can see, we may have seen some of the harm that we have done and uh, to ourselves or to another, and we feel the twinge of that, the guilt and the shame that Tim was talking about. Um, so if you feel like uh, you may have caused yourself harm or um, you... Um, uh, want to forgive yourself for the harm you see that you may have caused someone else. Um, whether that harm was done knowingly or unknowingly in our thoughts, uh, in our words, or in our actions, um, this last bow is that we can offer forgiveness to ourselves um, for any harm we may have caused to ourselves. And can you make the bell three times? Thank you so much for your practice. This last piece, Tim's going to stand on this side. I'm going to stand on this side. And all of you can stand if you'd like uh, or stay seated if you'd prefer. And uh, Ken is going to just start the chant and uh, we'll let it go around one time uh, so you can get a sense of it. And then at the 
appropriate time, those of you that follow me, we will bow. And the rest of you can stand. And then when we switch, uh, Tim will bow and we will stand. And then we'll just do this standing and bowing for a little while. And after a bit, I'll ring the bell. All right? All right.
song is on um, it's on uh, a sacred mountain sangha well, not sacred mountain yeah sacred mountain sangha and so we can put that link on the website we can put the words on the website and don't be afraid to once a month once a quarter once a year Clear out all that resentment that you may be holding on to. See if you can't create a space where you can just uh, open your heart to forgiveness and uh, let go of a lot of that old energy. I want to leave you with one last quote from Tao Te Ching. Says one does not walk into the forest and accuse the trees of being off center, nor do they visit the shore and call the waves imperfect. So why do we look at ourselves this way? This, these forgiveness ceremonies are a way to help us come in reconciliation with ourselves, just as we are. All right. Thank you so much. All right, thank you for the beautiful ceremony, Tori. Thank you all for participating. And special thank you for all of those who are visiting us new tonight and those who, for the first time, you participate in this ceremony. So we do this annually sometime in September, usually whatever works for our schedule. And so it's a process, you know, be that she ended that with that sense of self-reconciliation, bringing back all aspects of ourself into our heart. And it's a process. You have to be immensely patient as you start to notice all the places you carve out and separate. And the practice is just about bringing things back into whole, whether it's our own lives or all our relationships. 
So I wish you all well and lovely to spend this evening with you.